Hello, and welcome to Horrific Tales. In this show we celebrate the creation of independent authors and aspiring writers. Please like and subscribe and share these episodes so we can help our talented friends get as much exposure as possible. We'd also appreciate if you could support our artists by following them on their individual platforms and by purchasing their works. Details on how to do this are in the episode description. In this horrific tale, an obsessed game developer creates a project a little too realistic. Join us now as we present Hello Dolly by D.P. Wilson. The weird-looking sheep moved towards him slowly but steadily, one step at a time, its mad red eyes glinting in the moonlight, clacking its pointed jaws which, shockingly, displayed carnivore teeth. The noise the teeth made when they came together was slightly hollow, echoey like they were rattling in a skull without much flesh. Besides, sheep weren't supposed to come towards you, they were supposed to run away. Jimmy Chisholm looked around him for an avenue of escape. He could see open fields close at hand, but they were on the far side of the creature. Right here, he was in among semi-open deciduous woodland with high underbrush, just like behind his cottage in what used to be part of the Rosalind Institute Research Station, out between Easter Howgate and what was now the Pentland Science Park. He was in the grip of a profound and primitive fear, but he also felt dismay. He was deeply dismayed that such a thing as this could exist. He spotted a faint game path to his right and, without thinking, began sprinting along it. Then that sheep thing slowly and deliberately stepped out of the bushes onto the path facing him and clacking its jaws. Jimmy skidded to a halt, feet from the hideous thing, and began backing up. It said, Bah! Bah! It sounded like a person imitating a sheep, or maybe a sheep imitating a person. Whatever, it was shivery and unnatural. Jimmy took another step back and fell heavily over a large dead branch, and in that second it was on him, snapping those blasphemous jaws into his throat. Jimmy couldn't make any sounds now, except for a kind of wet whistling from his severed trachea. But the sheep could. It went, bah! So much blood gave it a gurgling quality that sounded almost like it was laughing. The lights flickered as Jimmy exited the program and whistled excitedly. This was the best game he had ever written. That stalking function was sick. A few more days and it would be ready for the beta gamers to test out and he just knew they'd love it. It would terrify them. And it was tough. Tough and complex with a ton of secret information and hidden levels, enough to keep them going for days. Hell, this might even get him back on top where he belonged. He stretched, switched off the lights, and locked the secure outbuilding. Far easier to secure a new-build industrial unit than the rambling old cottage in whose grounds it stood. Design in security from scratch, from the ground up, there were plenty of people who would love to get their hands on his latest ideas and, in Jimmy's game, plagiarism, industrial espionage and hacking came with the ground rules. Jimmy Chisholm was a computer game designer. At 27, he had already scaled the dizzy heights of stardom with Bitch Slappers and Bitch Slappers 2, which were smash hits and no more subtle than their titles. Bitch Slashers was instantly banned and therefore became a cult classic as well as a financial disaster. 
Dog Slashers fared no better, and Jimmy had badly needed something to get him back on top in his fiercely competitive profession. It's not just Silicon Glen anymore. These days, Scotland and Ireland are pretty much the centre of the world when it comes to game design, and the pressure from Jimmy's peers was ferocious. Jimmy had purchased the cottage outright with his earnings from bitch slappers, and had the secure custom workspace built after demolishing the lovely old barn that had previously stood there. After that, his earnings had dwindled, but at least he was mortgage-free and able to work whenever he wanted. Up until then, Jimmy had always lived in town, and he had found there was a lot to get used to out here. The noise of wood pigeons in the morning, for instance. He had never been a morning person, and he hated them for waking him at sunrise. Them and the sheep, who seemed to roam wherever they liked, without restraint. First they destroyed his garden, then his vegetable patch. Their bleating seemed to cut through everything, disturbing Jimmy at all hours of the day and night. He had no idea how the sheep got into the garden until he saw them jumping the fence. He had had no clue that sheep could jump, but there they were, doing just that. He idly started on a bloody and vengeful sheep-killing scenario while working on a more serious project for Bloodsport Limited, the agents for most of his games, and got hooked on the landscape around the cottage. Jimmy found it relaxed him to work on the semi-pastoral environment that surrounded his home the woodland setting that looked like a perfect backdrop for Bambi. Then, late one night, he animated a sheep simulacrum and started shooting it with a simulated large-caliber rounds from a virtual machine gun. He wished it would mean something if he held it up to the window and showed it to the sheep. It did mean something, however. It relieved his stress, and the more he played it, the more stress it relieved. Not thinking too much, he put the sheep creation into his woodland setting, and that was when he came up with the idea for a first-person shooter sheep-killing game. Straight on the heels of that, he thought, vampire sheep. No, zombie sheep. From that moment on, he was possessed. He spent all his time on the new game, ignoring every other project. He left his mail on the mat and his friends on the message service. He spent about three months on the woodland landscape, then another four on the sheep creature. Jackie from Bloodsport stopped ringing and called at the cottage. When she got no reply, she hammered on Jimmy's workspace door and kept hammering until he opened it. She was shocked at his appearance. He was white and dishevelled in a smelly old t-shirt which proclaimed, God is an atheist. And when he showed her the game, she burst into laughter. Zombie sheep, she spluttered. But Jimmy made her play the first level wearing the VR headset. Jackie's expression slowly changed as she experienced his virtual world, working her way through a gallery of horrors set in that idyllic landscape, and he watched her mouth intently. She was the first person, other than Jimmy himself, to experience the game or even know it existed. She said nothing else until she was done, then took off the VR set slowly, reluctantly, she took a deep breath. Jesus, it was a whisper. His intent expression didn't change as he watched her face. She said, You've changed your style completely, but if we market this right, we've got a hit in our hands. Then she grinned. They both did. How long did this take you, Jackie wondered. Seven months, he told her. What about the driving game? Junked it. He had never been the world's greatest conversationalist. We've got to get moving on this, Jimmy. We need to get it to the beta boys. His reply was instant. No, 
It's not ready yet. I'm not done. Jackie brushed through his prickliness. Jimmy, this is a brilliant game, possibly world-beating. But you know hot properties don't stay hot very long. We have to move on this now. I'm not done yet. I'm not done. The vehemence of his statement took her aback, and she had to think about how to proceed. Look, you can finish it at the office. You know there's lots of quiet space there, and we've got more tools and resources than you have here. It took her a full hour, but in the end, Jackie persuaded him to bring the game in for beta testing while he worked on finishing it. But first, let's get you a shower and a shave, she said. The office was the entire third floor of a new-build block on the corner of Semple Street and Fountain Bridge. Not the kind of location most gaming companies would choose, but Bloodsport ran a gaming design and development program in conjunction with Napier University, who subsidised the lease to an almost embarrassing degree. Besides, it was always impressive to have an address in the city centre's financial district. The company dealt with every aspect of representation and production, and Bloodsport even employed six full-time testers on site. Of course, employed was a fairly loose term in this instance, and these were usually interns from the university's degree programme. Jimmy knew, of course, that the company had far more advanced facilities than he had access to at home, but he had always found that his creative process worked far better in isolation. Reluctantly, he admitted to himself that it was probably now the time for technical tweaking rather than creation, and, though it tore at him to hand his world over to someone else, he knew that he needed the company's tools and expertise. It was just that, for some reason, he felt much more possessive about this game than any other he had created. It was as if it were a part of him. He laughed out loud at the phrase in his head, a part of my soul. People were looking. He was standing in the middle of the development room, and he wondered if the kids saw him as some kind of crazy old eccentric. He didn't care. They all had their copies of the game, and he could now get down to finishing the image quality and functionality. The VR set and headphones helped him shut out everyone else. He guessed that's what he needed the cottage for in its rural setting. Once again, Jimmy was amazed at how similar it was to the game's landscape. Amazed at his own skill, that is, for duplicating this countryside so beautifully. When he took the headset off, it was dark outside, and there was only one other person in the vast, empty office. A young gamer wearing VR gear, who was talking loudly to himself and making occasional whooping noises. Jimmy watched the kid quietly for a while, knowing what he was playing, but still it surprised him to hear the denim-clad geek shout, Yeah, that's it for you, Dolly. You're done. The kid was sweating profusely as he hauled off his headset, and he gave a start when he saw Jimmy watching him. Jings, he exclaimed, making Jimmy laugh. I haven't heard that one in a while, Jimmy told him. Who's Dolly? The kid shrugged. The sheep, of course. An unnatural creation of the Roslyn Institute. Isn't that where you live? It is, but I thought that would be before your time. He logged out of the program and watched the strip lights flicker. The young man shook his head. Nah, the first mammal cloned from an adult somatic cell? That's timeless. Jimmy laughed. He was warming to the guy. So what do you think? The game? It's amazing. The landscape, it's real, man. And that sheep thing, it's so creepy. Thanks. How do you think it up? You try living in the country. It's actually quite frightening, the kid admitted. The way it moves. It's like it's coming for your soul. Jimmy laughed, and the guy said, I'm Banny, by the way. 
Jimmy raised an eyebrow, and the kid shook his head in what he took to be embarrassment. Short for Bannatine, he admitted, and Jimmy nodded, understanding. Parents, he said. Christ, Jimmy, are you growing weed out there? Jackie McCaskill had brought nearly seven months' worth of mail in from the cottage, and in the three days Jimmy had been working and sleeping at the office, she'd had a couple of interns go through it. What? was his only response. Look, she insisted, shoving an electric bill under his nose. He looked and laughed. You're having me on, he said, and she bridled. Do I look like I'm having a laugh, she demanded. He studied her face for a moment, then looked at the letter again. The amount they said was owed for the last quarter was over £3,000. They must have screwed up, he decided. You need a whole factory to use that much juice. So you're not growing weed? Of course not. I need to concentrate. Shit, then we'd better read the meter, Jackie decided. I'll send one of the interns. No, no, Jimmy told her. I'll do it myself. I need to pick up a few things anyway, he sighed. I'll finish this section first and then drive out. Jackie nodded, but it was well into the evening before Jimmy made the trip out to the Pentlands and Easter Bush. He stumbled out of the Jaguar, wishing he'd brought a torch, or maybe had the driveway tarmacked. It was a cloudy, moonless night, and as he threaded his way towards the cottage, he heard movement in the bushes that lined one side of the driveway. It was only about ten feet away, and gave him quite a start. As he continued towards the front door, he heard something else. Ah, bloody sheep, Jimmy said out loud as he reached the door and fumbled with his keys. There were more noises as he opened the creaky old door and reached for the switches, and, in the light that spilled out, he could see movement in the bushes nearby. Shit, he muttered. Then, before he closed the door, he announced more loudly, I'm getting new fences and a gun. Still muttering to himself, he found the meter, jotted down the numbers, then went rummaging for some clothes in a backpack. He paused at the front door, then went back around the house, drawing all the curtains before stepping out and relocking. He left the outdoor light on, but still looked around himself carefully before heading across the lawns and courtyard towards the lock-up workspace. Jimmy frowned as he approached the double doors and stopped in his tracks because he was sure he could see a faint light coming under the door sill from inside. He was certain he had switched everything off when he'd left with Jackie. Apart from anything else, it was his ingrained habit. Hard to tell, though, because the light was so faint, and he still had spots in front of his eyes from the cottage's outdoor bulb. He paused to listen, but could hear nothing from inside the unit. What he did hear was the rattle of loose stones in the courtyard behind him, and as he spun round his heart thumping, there was a faint but definite baaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaa
This was the sequence near the cottage where the sheep thing came for you. As the red-eyed creature appeared in his virtual sight and began to move towards him, clacking its jaws in that horrible way, the workspace doors rattled, giving Jimmy a real fright. He took the goggles off and logged out of the program, powering everything down. The lights flickered as he did this, and there was a muffled, Bah! It came from just outside the doors, and filled Jimmy with an unaccountable dread. His heart was pounding, and the hair stood up all over his body, a primal response to a profound fear, and he backed away from the sound. He thought for a few moments, then hauled out his mobile and dialed an unfamiliar number. Banny! His tone was carefully cheerful. The young man was a fan, and Jimmy had come up with an idea. You want to see where I work? A pause. Yeah, I'm out at the cottage now. He gave directions over the phone, finishing with, Bring a torch, you'll need it. Then he sat down, facing the doors, and just waited. It was more than half an hour before Banny's pickup could be heard on the driveway, and it seemed to banish the other noises, the ones Jimmy had been listening to for what seemed like forever. Soft rustlings and muffled grunts, with an occasional bleat, as the doors to his little room rattled. The young nard was suitably impressed and a little overwhelmed by such personal attention from his idol, and gave Jimmy a hand with the huge bundle of gear he had got ready during the wait. I'm taking everything into the office till I'm done, Jimmy told the kid. When they had unloaded the pickup, Jimmy said, I could murder a pint. You got time for a drink? Banny was honoured and offered to pay, but Jimmy wouldn't hear of it, being grateful for the alcohol and some company. They headed to a basement bar in the cowgate, and Jimmy hoped the kid didn't notice his nervous glances over his shoulder. In those ancient, cobbled streets, it's common to hear echoes when no one is in sight. Some put it down to ghosts, but Jimmy knew it was a weird and complex acoustic environment in that part of town. Despite that, he couldn't help thinking that the footsteps sounded like hooves rattling on cobbles, and the voices were a bit like the bleating of sheep. They always kept cots at the office, and for the next three weeks, Jimmy lived in the giant space, working almost 20 hours every day. Everyone could see he was obsessed, but he was a star, and that's how they are, isn't it? The Beta Boys had finished with the new game, and they were wildly impressed. So much so, the company went into production right away, without even disturbing Jimmy to let him know. He could be another few months working out non-existent bugs for all they knew, and besides, the royalties would be a nice surprise. One day, when he was available to reality, Jackie asked him, What are you going to call it? He hadn't hesitated. Hello, Dolly, he had told her. She hadn't understood, and he just smiled. He camped out next one of the big pillars and became part of the scenery, hardly moving, always silent with his VR set on. They were even used to the lights flickering every time he booted up the program or shut it down. He only went out occasionally, and then only with Banny. No one knew what they talked about, but the kid became even paler and more withdrawn. Jimmy was understood to be locked in his own world, and not a part of the office environment, and it was therefore no surprise that he didn't respond to the furore that kicked off when the power bill came in. We can't have used that much power, Jackie had shouted. It's just not possible. I checked, and they wee wheels were fair burling ruin, the janitor told her. People were running around checking things for a day or two, but it had only the most peripheral effect on Jimmy. 
When his first royalty check came in, Jackie strode through the office, holding it aloft and grinning fit to bust. Where is he? She called to anyone who would listen. He's gonna shit. Who? Someone asked, and she scowled and opened her mouth wide at the same time. Jimmy Chisholm, she snapped. He's a star again, and here's the royalty check to prove it. But no one had seen him. No one could remember when anyone had last seen him. When she asked Banny, all he could say was, He's gone. She demanded to know what that meant, but the kid just shook his head and showed her a small flat screen with the game playing on it. A figure was stumbling through the trees. It looked disturbingly familiar, and then Banny pointed to its T-shirt. It read, God is an atheist. The weird-looking sheep moved towards him slowly but steadily, one step at a time, its mad red eyes glinting in the moonlight, clacking its pointed jaws, which, shockingly, displayed carnivore teeth. The noise the teeth made when they came together was slightly hollow, echoey, like they were rattling in a skull without much flesh. Besides, sheep weren't supposed to come towards you, they were supposed to run away. Jimmy Chisholm looked around him for an avenue of escape. He could see open fields close at hand, but they were on the far side of the creature. Right here, he was in among semi-open deciduous woodland with high underbrush, just like behind his cottage in what used to be part of the Roslyn Institute research station out between Easter Howgate and what is now the Pentland Science Park. He was in the grip of a profound and primitive fear, but he also felt dismay. He was deeply dismayed that such a thing as this could exist. He spotted a faint game path to his right and, without thinking, began sprinting along it. Then, that sheep thing slowly and deliberately stepped out of the bushes onto the path facing him and clacking its jaws. Jimmy skidded to a halt, feet from the hideous thing, and began backing up. It said, Bah! Bah! It sounded like a person imitating a sheep, or maybe a sheep imitating a person, whatever. It was shivery and unnatural. Jimmy took another step back and fell heavily over a large dead branch, and in that second, it was on him, snapping those blasphemous jaws into his throat. Jimmy couldn't make any sounds now, except a kind of wet whistling from his severed trachea. But the sheep could. It went, bah! <laughs> so much blood gave it a gurgling quality that sounded almost like it was laughing. enjoyed our latest horrific tale. If you want to keep up to date with future episodes, then subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow our social media pages. You can also give the channel support by visiting our merchandise store and picking up some of our items. We would also appreciate it if you took a moment to support our contributing artists who very kindly lend their talents to the show. Check out the links in the description to see how you can do this. Well, that just leaves me to say, until next time my friends, keep it creepy, keep it horrific.